HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. On time. On time. You may call in your questions, too. 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Joined in uh, the studio, uh, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. We got... You going to say anything? Hi. Yeah, all right, we got uh, we got J Mall, Jackie Molecules, Jack Inslee back in the engineering booth today. Whoa, there we go. Mike wasn't working. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, where where'd you go? Um, should I tell this story now? This is actually a really good story. Yeah. Well, then wait because you gotta wait till the show's over if you want to tell an actual good story. And we also <laughs> got uh, we got uh, Rebecca on uh, on the mic, who is the uh, the uh, w- w- what's your title there, Rebecca? <laughs> Um, captain of social media. Captain, huh? Is that Stas? Is that your idea? I like that. No, but I like Rebecca, that's you, Captain. Yeah, I just made it up. So, like, then who's Tennille? Is Jack Tennille? My Tennille? Oh, a good show name is Captain and Chenille, and she's like making quilts and stuff. Oh, that's very strong. Yeah. Is that yours? No, somebody else's. Yeah, Captain and Sh- Captain and Chenille, but he's making the quilts. Right. Yeah, that's true. He's the making captain. The yeah. The captain. Is he alive? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh. Wait, is that a call? We got a call, or is that just like someone ordering pizza? One second, Dave. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got two callers on the line. Um, I'm going to make them wait real quick so I can get this story out of the way. All right. So I was <laughs> <laughs> so I was flown out to Madison by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board to go on a cheese tour, tour some cheese making facilities. Uh, they are a supporter of Heritage Radio. So um, I decided with an extra day in town to go drive over to Milwaukee. Just nice. To, just to check it out. So I uh, I drive to Milwaukee. I kind of do my, my research, see what the best bar is. I go to this bar, Bryant's, which is like, um, you know, a, a Prohibition era uh, bar that has like a, a 500 drink menu. You can't order. You just tell them what kind of spirit you like. They make you a drink. They won't tell you what's in it, that kind of thing. I ask the bartender for advice, and he's like, oh, you should go check out this red light ramen thing. It starts at 11.30. So uh, 11.30 at night, I wait in line to go for ramen. The bartender finds me, and he goes, oh, man, i got to bring you to the front of the line. 
So he introduces me to the chef. This place is called Ardent by Day and then Red Light Ramen at Night. And the chef, Justin, is like, holy shit, you're jacking the booth from cooking issues. Oh, nice. And the whole kitchen, apparently, uh, big supporters, big listeners. He points to a slushy machine. He's like, this is my old-fashioned slushy. I called into the show, and Dave's advice is, is why this drink is here. Wow. How, was the, how was the drink? It was damn good. Nice. I might have had a few too many, but it was, uh, it was damn good. Awesome. Um, so lots of cooking issues love in Milwaukee. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, major love to Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee, yeah. nice place. Like Justin, Sa- Aaron, and Matt, there, all awesome. I've only spent in my life, and maybe Nastasia is yours as well. Yes. Four four hours of our lives in Toto in Milwaukee, but they were a very good four hours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That was yeah. like the same for me. Yeah, it was really in and out, but it was really really good. I like it, Milwaukee, nice town. And then a quick shout out, of course, to Johnny Hunter and uh, all the underground meets people that I got to meet in Madison. You never met them? You met Johnny? I met Johnny, but I didn't get to meet everybody else. They were all big listeners of Cooking Issues yeah. there. Yeah, they're they're nice. They they're uh, they got a really cool setup out there too. Yeah, the beverage director at Four Quarter, his name's slipping away from me, but a big big listener, awesome dude. Just all around great stuff. Nice. I got to see them making their black garlic in a crock pot too. Yeah. Well, Johnny was the one that told me that you can go higher than everyone said on black garlic, and it tastes like a little bit different, but it's like a boat ton faster. Yeah. So exactly. You know, so he's doing his black garlic at a much higher temperature yep. than other people. And in an like, old beat up crock pot. Well, <laughs> uh, is there any other kind? This, I guess they still make crock pot. By the way, I shouldn't. We shouldn't keep the caller waiting. But listen, I got to tell you this. There's like. There's this uh, like a, one of these websites that sells crap on the internet. In fact, they sell I think the egg thing maybe mm. that Paul gave us. Mm-hmm. But they also sell this thing called like uh, Wolf Washer 360, which is a hula hoop oh, with yeah, water that you wash your dogs. But they have a cookbook they sell. Get this: dump meals. Oh yeah, I've dump, seen that. Mm. dump meals. Wow, you just want to dump it in. Dump. Why would you want any meal called dump? I got to go take a dump. It's your meal, <laughs> right? Why would you ever want to do that? Yeah. Someone should try it, though. It's like, literally, it's a... Uh, what was the recipe that they say on the commercial? It is a pork shoulder, Damn a Dr. Peppy, Dr. Oh. Pepper, Pep, Pep, Dr. Dr. Pepper... Dr. Pepper, yeah, I like that. Yeah, Dr. Peppy, that, well, which is what it is. It, it, peps, it, peps, it peps your brain and peps your butt, Dr. Peppy. So they got the uh, Dr. Pepper and, I think, barbecue sauce, and you throw it in, but no pre-browning, nothing. Just like, a, like an unbrowned pork shoulder in the, in the crock pot. So we're about to take a caller, but before we take the caller, we have joining us now in the studio... <laughs> Uh, Don Lee, uh, have a seat, gentlemen. Don, Don Lee, um, cocktail overlord, you say, sure accurate, about. cocktail overlord, and a father, Bill Daly, from uh, the, uh, yeah, from uh, Notre Dame, law school Notre Dame, but also, uh, hold on a second, Here, uh, Don, have a seat. Uh, I mean, I don't want to call, I don't want to call you like, I don't want to call you the cocktail priest, but... You you do you know you 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 know like all the major players in the cocktail world and you you know you don't overindulge in the cocktail but you enjoy uh, you know you enjoy the uh, the cocktail world right I enjoy it very much yeah I try not to overindulge yeah well and I've you know I look uh, I have seen him many times at Tales of the Cocktail our our yearly debauch down in uh, in New Orleans and I can uh, say firsthand that fa- Father Father Bill always has control over the situation. But let me take a caller real quick. Right, before we, we have two callers. Um, they'll just have to like fight to see who goes first, I guess. Well, don't you get to pick? I'd put them both on. Mm. Oh, they're literally both on. They can both hear. Whoa. All right. So start. <laughs> not a cocktail question. Maybe right. the other one is. Well, no, I don't care. We, we'll, we'll take all questions. I mean, you know, Don and Father Bill like to eat, too. Right on. Mine's a turducken question. Oh, nice. Okay, go ahead. Where are you from, first of all? 
Uh, from D.C. My name's Jason. Hey, Jason. All right. So last year was maybe like my fourth turducken and did it roughly along the line of Kenji's method, which is, uh, you know, chicken and duck and then in the water bath for a few hours and then um, fry to render and crisp the duck skin and then put it in the turkey suit and roast it for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um. I took the ducks. I took the chicken skin off and had some pork and rabbit sausage in there too. So anyway, what I'm looking to improve is mostly the texture of the uh, duck skin. Yeah, 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 you are. Yeah, and, is it worth taking it out completely and then and then just I don't know using some of the duck fat somewhere else in the thing? Yeah, I mean, yes. The, the, you're never. I mean. I always do skin. I always do in my internal birds uh, skinless because it's never going to be crisp. Now, look, there are whole cultures that love like a highly rendered, uh, like nasty. That's not the way. I don't mean to nasty like bird skin. <laughs> like think like uh, Hannity's chicken or something like this. It's going to have a, like a rubbery, gooey, gluey, and that's the deal. Right. That's what. But most Americans. Like I can, I can train myself to love that because that's who I am, right? I can be like, but the same way that Americans can't stand apples that have different textures from what they're used to, they can't stand poultry skins that have different textures from what they're used to. That's especially the case with duck. Like especially the case with duck. So I think that pretty much you're going to be hosed unless you you could do the old uh, modernist technique of taking a dog brush to the duck and l- instead of doing the um, the low temp, you could do an actual roast on it, cool it down, then throw it inside the turkey skin. It won't be crunchy anymore, duh, but it won't have the giant fat cap underneath because it will have rendered out uh, a lot of its uh, fat. And if, you know, But otherwise, yeah, du- yeah. duck skin is such an amazing thing. Like to do anything like, you know, evil to it is like harmful to the world in general, I think. Like, um, Just duck crack Put it in your uh, stuffing. Mix it in. There you go. That's a good one. Render it out and yeah. sprinkle it on the salad that you serve with it because that's going to be delicious. Yep. Right? Salt the Yeah. Now, is there any way to get uh, like the, to get the transglutaminase to glue the the duck and the I mean, the duck and the turkey together? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I do. I mean, even after it's cooked. So you're pre-cooking your duck and then wrapping the turkey body. Around. By the way, like, listen. Just from a technical standpoint, you're overcooking the duck now. Not as like not as far as like an old school European is concerned, but as far as like a modern person is concerned, you're overcooking the duck. Am I right? No, it was well. I mean, I did it around 140 in the right. water bath. It was pretty good. Oh, 60. So you just did a really, really rare chicken. Yeah, the chicken was. You know. <laughs> right. The chicken was also not overcooked. Right, no, but the chicken, for most people, that's going to be way under for a chicken is my point. Most people aren't going to want the chicken until it gets up to about 63, but most people are going to want the duck somewhere between 57 and 58, somewhere in that range. Okay. Anyway. Well, by that standard, the duck was probably overcooked a couple of degrees. The yeah, chicken might have been under a degree. It's fine. Look, it's all fine if people like the way it tastes, but I just my feeling is that the chicken is going to be a little translucent still at that temperature. Is it? Uh, you know, frankly, I don't remember. I mean, if you can stand a three-stepper, I would make a tube out of the chicken, do that thing at like 63, 60, 64 even, 63, 64, okay. and then 
then transglutaminase the outside, wrap the, and you can do it when it's still warm, wrap the, uh, wrap the duck around that, do that sucker at like 57, 58. You can do it at 60, 140. It's actually a perfectly good duck, but it's, it's no longer, depends. If you want that really rosy red medium rare duck, then you need to be at 57 for like an hour. Uh, but if you want, like, higher temp duck is legitimate, and that's the way that, like, a lot of old school people will cook the duck. They won't have it rare anyway. A lot of old Frenchies don't like really rare duck. In which case, by the way, like, the temperature you're doing, 60, perfectly acceptable. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be a jerk. Like, that's perfectly acceptable. It's just most modern Americans who are, uh, serving a duck breast, a breast, rosy rare, will want it lower. Right, uh, yeah. but but that's yeah. not what you're doing here. So ignore my other. And so you can cook that uh, at that temp. I think 63 or 64 is a little high for it, though. Right. So you could do the initial chicken enough. at yeah. like 63, or you could just invert them. You could put the duck on the inside. Sure. That's another option for you. Anyways, and then yeah, I would cut the duck skin off, and then I would render it out as Don said. That was Don, by the way, uh, in crackling form. And I've seen Don put away many duck cracklings in my life. Many, 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 many. The many ducks have been have been uh, slaughtered for to you know not even sate Don's duck crackling. Uh, I converted a vegetarian of I think seven years back to meat, uh, cooking duck cracklings in college dorm. That was uh, John DeBerry. Yeah, John DeBerry was a vegetarian. When I met yes. him, he was a vegetarian until beverage director. Yeah. 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 Anyways, uh, is this helpful at all? Oh, oh, gluing the transglutaminase. Can I, can I, uh, can I put it in the fridge before I put the turkey suit on it or should I do it all warm still and and not re-therm it before I put the turkey skin on? Oh, well, okay. So as long as there's no way for product to get into it, it's fine if, if it's, uh, if it's, you know, if you cool it down, because uh, if you've cooked it long enough, you've pasteurized everything in the inside of it. I mean, the the, the kind of real uh, you know danger happens when um, you have mixtures that can get recontaminated as they're cooling, and then they cool down, uh, or if there's big air gaps or, or whatnot. But um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, I think you should be you should be fine. Uh, if it's all heated all the way through and and safe, like the super danger obviously is like the person who puts cold stuffing into a bird and then shoves uh, said bird in the oven and it takes like four hours for the stuffing to get up to temperature and by the time that happens all sorts of nasty enterotoxins have been created that you know you know that that's what you don't want to do but uh, you're, right, not, you're not right. going to do that you're, you're going to be fine. All right, cool. I like uh, the rabbit is, sausage. Uh, can, can I use duck fat in sausage, or is that going to be just a terrible disaster? Uh, yes and no. Like, if you're taking a sausage and you're, um, you, you mean like cube? Not like once it's rendered, obviously it's a nightmare, right? Unless it's an emulsified okay. sausage. Are you doing an emulsified sausage? Well, no, no, no. I was going to make a chunky sausage and and stuff it in there with all the the rest of the meat. You can add some. But just be aware that if it's been rendered already, that it's going to bleed out like quickly. Yeah, you know what I mean. So if you're, okay. you know, if you're doing a a, a low temp one, it, it you know you you could get away with using other fat. I mean, look, someone on tw- in the in the Twitter universe over here, like you know, write back and say that I'm wrong. You've done it eight billion times, and here's how to do it. Uh, and you know, Rebecca and Jack can tell me whether anyone t- you know chimes in on that one. But um, that's my that's my feeling. I've made duck. Yeah, Josh fat. says, "Don't use duck fat in dry sausage." No bueno. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, okay. I, cool. I, yeah. I've used portions of duck. You know, Josh. I've made like duck hot dogs and stuff, but I usually supplement it with like pork fat, and I'm using unrendered stuff when I go in, or if it's emulsified, you know, you can get away with it, but not in a chunky uh, sitch. I don't think. Okay. Are you awesome. tweet us back and let us know how it works? Okay, we'll do. Cool. Thanks. 
Thanks a lot. You know, we used to do an entirely second caller still there. Oh, second caller, you were on the air. They left. They hate mm. us so yeah. much. Yeah, it was a long wait. It was a long wait. It was too long to wait. That was my fault. I'll take that one. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we used to do a low temperature turducken, uh, but I think it was a little too low temp for everyone because it was kind of like on the rare side all the way through. The idea we when we were doing it was we lined up all the birds in the order they wanted to temperature wise be cooked to. So turkey wants the highest temp, chicken wants the next highest temp, duck wants the next highest temp, and we threw a squab in, which by the way, squab delicious, wants the lowest temp. And so like, because uh, why stop with turducken? It's just because they don't have uh, squabs, I guess, much in in you know Louisiana. They could, I mean, they have all kind of small game birds they could be shoving some sort of grouse in the middle that would be good how about a little ortolan in the very center well, that's more french man <laughs> i guess they're french e but they're not french all right we got the second caller back. second caller you were on the air hi there this is andrew from pittsburgh hey how you doing good good um long time listener um i've got a couple questions just stop me if it's too many um first question was oh, I don't know, like two or three years ago someone has, was trying to do the the, the caramelized little pieces that come out of a sweet potato like those delicious brown pieces right Oh, the, I, little, I, the little, like, you mean... I ever get back to you with how he figured out how to do it, because I think he did it once, but didn't remember how he did it. Wait, he, wait, he's trying to harvest the little beads of syrup that get crunchy on the outside of a sweet potato? Is that what we were talking about? What? Yeah, but he had somehow figured out how to do it in, like, a pressure cooker, but he'd only done it once and never repeated the, re- the results from what I heard. Did, did, you, did that strike a bell at all? No, I, don't, I made once... I, uh, my pressure cooker... Like the one that I go to bed crying about every once in a while is I made a durian caramel in a pressure cooker once by accident and didn't record enough of the information to ever be able to do it again. Gotcha. And that I st- uh, you're making me sad even thinking about it because like if I could have nailed that recipe like and that's why you should always write down what you do. But no, Stas, is that ringing a bell in sweet potatoes? Must have been a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. But. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking, I was thinking uh, adding some amylase to it, um, blending up the, the sweet potato, and then pressure cooking it. Do you think that could, and then possibly lowering the, I'm sorry, raising the pH um, to see if you could get, like, just to really jazz up the Maillard on it? With that, right, with that, but that, I mean, the, 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 the crunchy stuff is mainly a sugars thing, right? So they, the adding the base is, uh, I forget what it's going to do to the sugar, but it's definitely going to up the Maillard if, in fact, it's Maillard that you're that you're shooting right. for. Um, and hitting a sweet potato with amylase will increase the sweetness to the detriment of the starch. But I don't know. I don't know what that'll, I don't know what that'll get for you except for maybe increasing the yield. I look, I've tried to make sweet potato cocktails by jacking with amylase and I've never had any luck. Uh, never had any luck. Don, you ever had any luck with sweet potato in the cocktail? Never worked it with it in a cocktail. Yeah, I tried. Uh, well, in other words, but that's, that's the only amylase thing. I've also tried. I tried once. Um, I tried once uh, using um, the kind of endogenous amylase stuff in uh, in a sweet potato. Uh, doing like the uh, pre cook, like the long low pre cook. Again, I didn't feel like I made them that much sweeter. You know, you can make a carrot a good bit sweeter by cooking it below the pectin softening temperature for uh, a long time. But I, I never had a lot of luck with a sweet potato perceptively. In other words, I'm sure it did boost the sweetness, but I wasn't like, best sweet potato I've ever made in my whole life. You need to do this all the time. You know when, what I mean? When we say sweet potato, though, are we talking like Asian sweet potato? We're talking American sweet potato here, Don. Because yeah, I was going to say, like Asian sweet potatoes, you roast it, you know, it turns really sweet. 
You can you can even chop it up and deep fry it. It gets nice and crunchy. Get a little Maillard on the outside. Do you like sweet potato fries? Are you one of those people? Not the yellow American kind of sweet potato fries, but uh, a traditional Korean Chinese hybrid dish uh, as a dessert is chunks of the kind of the Japanese purple on the outside, white on the inside, sweet potato chunked up, deep fried. Delicious. Yeah. Hmm. I don't like. I'm going to go out on a limb here and get everyone mad at me. I don't really. I I can eat sweet potato fries. I like two of them. I tire of them quickly compared to a, a like you know a an Irish potato. We'll call it, even though they're not from Ireland. <laughs> French fry. You know what I mean? I'm with you on that. Yeah, Stas. Mm-hmm. Stas hates all French fries. That's that's it. She doesn't hate them. She's not a fan. She just needs some champagne to go with them. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then you'll eat. Dave, I, I have you ever dipped in maple syrup? Uh, healthy before? and responsible choice compared to regular fries because they seem more adult. Wait, what seems more adult? I think people order them in restaurants because the sweet potato fry seems like, oh, that's uh, something you would put on a, an adult dinner plate, sweet potato, as opposed to the French fry. But aren't you supposed to be, it was Father Bill, aren't you supposed to be like optimistic about human nature as opposed <laughs> to so pessimistic that that's how shallow we all are? I guess they need to be taught. That's why you're a priest. That's right. Instruct the ignorant. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual work of mercy. Yeah, there you go. Rebecca, what were you saying? Do you like to eat your sweet potato fries when you dip it in maple syrup? Because that's what I like to do. I'm sure that's good. Like, you can make a good dessert, I'm sure, with this. But here's the problem. Sweet potato fry never has the proper texture of a French fry. And it's got that sweet potato taste, which I find better as a kind of a roasted kind of a, a situation. Like, I'm not hating on sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes. Uh, I just don't think the fries that the best. It's it's like they very rarely have the right kind of crust to interior ratio. They ha- very rarely have the right uh, um, oil to potato ratio, and it, it, there's something d- deeply not the best about them. Um, I also I'm going to go on record and uh, prep people everywhere will know what I'm talking about. I detest uh, peeling and cooking sweet pot- uh, cutting sweet potatoes. I hate. Cutting sweet potatoes. I hate the noise my knife makes when it goes through a sweet potato. I hate the way that like they shatter like right when you're like two thirds of the way through the freaking sweet potato. There's nothing about fabricating uh, sweet potatoes in the kitchen that I enjoy. Nothing. That's because you're using yams. Use real sweet potatoes, and it's not a problem. Whatever, man. You know what? You know what's the worst thing ever? Like my favorite Nastasia moment right after she started working with us was uh, we had those uh, those naimyo, those like long slimy like sweet potato weed things. You know what I'm talking about, Don? Those yeah, yeah nag. What are they? Nagmo? Nag- what are they called? That you grind up and you know, yeah, 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 yeah. They're basically a mucilaginous nightmare. Yeah. And let me just put it this way: their shape is suggestive, suggestive. Mm-hmm. And so we had one peeled. It was all. It was. It was a bunch. It was one of those days when it was mostly dudes in the kitchen that day, and so we peeled one. Nastasi goes to pick it up. It's all slime. It's all slimy. Picks it up, shoots this suggestive thing across the kitchen because she squeezed on the tapered end of it too hard. It hits the wall and shatters into a million pieces. And all the dudes were like, "Ah, <laughs> remember that? Wow, yeah." Yeah. All right, I'm dropping the. I'm dropping that last wait, caller. Wait, wait. Has a follow up to that. We have a follow. Rebecca's got a follow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we had. Wait, what's it? What? What's going on? Um, hold on, I gotta get it. I'm sorry. All right. So what? Sean Andrews wants to know how do you make the sweet potato fries crispy like you were talking about, and could you do it in the oven? I don't look. I'm gonna say I haven't worked on it enough to know, uh, because. Like I look to take on a problem, I have to love the problem. You know what I mean? Like now, this is a good problem in the sense that, like, like I understand what you're trying to say, 
was that Andrew wrote in? Look, I understand what you're trying to say. What you're trying to say is, hey, look, there is something to salvage, right? There is something savable, as Father Bill might say, in the sweet potato french fry. I haven't seen a glimmer of it enough to devote the time and energy necessary to actually suss that out and figure out whether that is uh, like really there. There's a couple of problems. Generally, things that are deep fried, certain exceptions, donuts, blah, 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 don't want to be as sweet as that because you can't get the crust formation without uh, burning the sugars involved, right? So uh, you're going to have a very high percentage of uh, sugar on the exterior, but you not only need to cook it to a brown, which, Bev, you know, trivial. You could do that with – but you need to dehydrate it to the point where you actually have a good texture. So what I would do if I was going to do it – and I, I didn't talk about my lays. By the way, I'm turning – as I get older, I get lazier and lazier and lazier. You know what I do now? On the weekends, first of all, it's going to seem like I'm not talking about the same thing, but I am. Uh, so Dax, you know, my younger son Dax, has decided that he is actually a child of the 1970s and so requests baked potato bars as a dinner thing. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really delicious. And so I've been like slamming like the, the big baking potatoes out of the oven, you know, prick it with a fork, rub it with oil, salt, throw it in the oven for an hour, like 70s, you know, big pile of fix-ins to go with it. Strangely, Dax chooses vegetarian chili, but whatever. I'm not going to judge. It's his 70s. You know, <laughs> you know. I live the actual 70s, but you know, whatever. We'll deal with his version of the 70s. And uh, and so anyway, I've started just making an extra five potatoes when I do it. And if you just take a properly baked sweet, pot- uh, prop- a properly baked regular Irish potato, russet, Burbank good old-fashioned America, Idaho, and you uh, throw it in the fridge. So remember, baking it, you haven't added any water. You've actually dehydrated it some. You've cooked all the starch out so it's fluffy. You put it in the fridge and let it sit for a day. Now you can cut it properly. That stuff fries up amazingly well, like amazingly well. So, you know, because you've done a lot of the moisture management and pre-cook when it's still in its potato form. And is it as good as my hardcore French fry stuff? No, but I end up just disking it, making home fries. And like that kind of a home fry, I have to say, they're, uh, they're really good. Now, back to your sweet potato problem. Could you do something like that with a sweet potato? Perhaps. Perhaps you could roast a sweet potato whole, uh, chill it, fabricate it, uh, and now and let it dry, let the outside dry off, like partially dehyde a little bit, like just in the air, and then fry it. Could you get a good result? I'm not going to say you can't. You know how people get a good f- a result with sweet potatoes or what they call a good result? They cheat and they batter those suckers, which is why there's so many battered sweet potato products out there because then you separated the problem of trying to create a crust in an impossible place, the surface of a sweet potato, and you've instead shifted it to can I make a good crust on the outside? And obviously you can. Obviously that's possible. I was just going to say, the Japanese uh, sweet potato tempura. Yeah, although, don't get me started on tempura, all right? Have you ever had tempura that was like... i got to drop that sweet potato call and get to the next guy because we're backed up here. All right, all right. But have you ever had a good, uh, you ever had a good uh, tempura? Really good? I still haven't been to that new tempura bar, but like that place that just opened up here. Here's the thing. Out. They're like, well, you know, you need to have it right away. No, why? No, no. It's just a... Uh, no, no. Tempura is delicious, but is it the, is it the height of frying? It is not. It's the height of tempura. It's high to tempura. It's its own thing, but I'm never. In other words, like that, like that, like the the kind of Japanese ideal of like the incredibly blonde, non-browned crust uh, that's good for ex- exactly the amount of time. So, like most 
and I've had good tempura. Most of it, by the time it's cold enough to eat, with like it's already crap. You know what I mean? Anyway, we have a caller. Do we have a caller? No. What if you did a shoestring sweet potato? Hard to fabricate. That's what I'm saying. Like shoestrings are so hard to fabricate. You could probably pulp a sweet potato and then make some sort of like Pringle esque kind of a situation. Are you a Pringles fan? Sure. Yeah. Once you pop, you can't stop. Oh wow, that's true. What about you, Don Pringles? I like using the can to make a cantana. What's a cantana? What's a cantana? It's a Wi-Fi range extender. Holy crap, Don! <laughs> Don, Don, like Don is is his own Mophie. He plugs his phone into his forehead when he runs out of battery <laughs> juice. What about you, Stas Pringles? You know what I don't like about the Pringle? I like them. They're good. At the, at the, the texture. There's something about the texture, like scraping on the roof of my mouth. There's something about the oh, texture. Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. They're good. I like them. And, you know, that was one of the most fantastically expensive uh, things ever in terms of food R&D. I think it was, it was Procter & Gamble came yep. up with the, uh, pr- the patents on it, and it, it take forever. Whatever. Uh, they Do we still have the caller that's been waiting? I don't know. Caller? Caller, are you, caller, are you on the air? No. Okay. That's me. I, oh, you're here. This you're is here. Andrew Scott. I was just going to say thank you guys. Um, oh, hey, thanks. There's one thing that I could ask. Um, Eggnog's amazing. I love it. But I was trying to figure out how to get a foam on top. Do you think Metal Cell has 50? Wait, for, for a foam on top of what? I couldn't hear you. So, uh, for Eggnog. So it's one of my favorite parts about winter is uh, being able to drink Eggnog. And, I, I mean, I also love egg white drinks. So I was trying to think of a way. I don't know. I don't think egg whites would work on top of eggnog. I could be wrong, but I was thinking maybe methyl salad fifty to to have a foam to go on top of an eggnog or some other kind of hot drink. Yeah, you could totally do it. I mean, what do you want the foam to taste like? What do I want the foam to taste like? I mean, I would imagine if you could get the foam done, you could probably get it to taste like anything. I mean, I was thinking maybe you do like a, either like a cinnamon uh, or like a nutmeg simple, and then get that to foam. Or I could be wrong on that. You want some solids. Out. You need some whipping. You need some crap in in the. So Methocell F fifty is um, it's going to provide the the kind of structure, but you need some solids in there to back it up. Like you, things like purees work really well, or you know something that has some like some some structure, some like stuff in it, like clear things. Like simple syrups aren't going to whip up so well. Uh, Methocell F50 may or may not work with actual milk products because they can be kind of they can be kind of a, a, a nightmare. Um, you could also just whip the eggnog. How, whip it. Does yeah. it hold? It, uh, long enough for you to finish the drink. I mean, if it's not holding long enough for you to finish the drink, you're not drinking fast enough. You could also yeah. do like a hot ISI foam on the, on the with an eggnog base and just thicken it with something like if you want it to stay forever, like forever. Like forever, uh, you could make an agar fluid gel from the eggnog base. Um, you know, hydrate the agar in water, temper back in the eggnog base, uh, blend the hell out of that, and then shoot it out of an ISI. That'll hold hot up to about seventy degrees uh, Celsius, and then uh, and then that'll hold till till forever. But, uh, can you hold that for service in an ISI in like a um, uh, in a, in a- Circulator bath? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you, what, if, if you what, want, like, hyper-dense on that, like... Uh, along with the eggnog? What? 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 What What'd you say? What temperature would you hold um, that during service? Can, can you hold eggnog during service, like, in a, in a circulator bath? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, and when then, eggnog, what temperature you like, 57? What? Uh, yeah, you just don't want to mess with the eggs, right? So anything right. below 57, I think you'll be fine. I don't think it's going to... 
Uh, well, how, you're, how you're much more Tom and Jerry though? If you if you want a like a hot egg drink, that's that's a Tom and Jerry. If you want a cold drink, that's an eggnog. I'd run a little test. On, listen, cocktail oh, purist over here. Listen, uh, uh, Mister, I don't want to make a hot and cold cocktail at the same time because that's uh, that's not real mixology. Oh, you know what? Now he's getting me started. Listen, <laughs> no, uh, wait, to get back to this, I'm, so like uh, I want to you want to test to make sure that nothing's going to break or curdle, but the egg should stabilize it up to. Uh, you should be fine up to fifty seven. You should be fine. You're probably all right all the way up to 60, in which case, uh, you know, if the health inspectors come in, you're not going to get in trouble. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And I guess we're just wrong on the, on the eggnog versus, what did you say the, the name was? For uh, it's the called a Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. Okay. Don, right. you know, you. Don just has to be, you know, prickly over here. You know what I mean? All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All, all right. We're going to break real quick. All right. Coming back all with right. some more cooking issues. Americans throw away 58 billion disposable cups every year. A lot of those cups will still be around long after you're dead. Kind of dark, I know, but I'm Greg from Kapow, and we decided to do something about it. We created the only glass travel mug that's 100% U.S. made. You can check it out alongside our complete line of everyday reusables at kapow.com, C-U-P-P-O-W.com. This is not an advertisement, I promise. This is not an ad. Cooking Issues listener, you're already cooler than most people for listening to this show. And if you do listen to this show, then you know I'm Jack Inslee, a.k.a. Jackie Molecules, a.k.a. the man behind the booth. I need you to make us look cool against all the other shows. Let's make Cooking Issues the most supported show on the network. $1, $5, $20, $50, really, anything you can afford, please donate today to heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the Donate tab in the top right corner. Send us a note and let us know you came from Cooking Issues. Dave will appreciate it. I will appreciate it. Even Nastasia will appreciate it. Appreciate it. I promise. Give something today. Oh, and welcome back to Cooking Issues. How are you guys doing? So, Jack, wow, did, what's going on back here? Did you have any? Uh... So many. Yeah, Cooking right. Issues listeners are coming through. All right, all right. Ready, caller? You were on the air. Oh no, no, no. That was oh. for donations. Oh, for donations. Yeah, no, I don't have callers. Uh, I have donations, though. We have you all geared up. Well, well, geared up for donations. You, they should donate. Hey, one more favor for Cooking Issues fans: like us on Facebook for Heritage Radio Network. We got to up those numbers. So, like us on Facebook. I'm done. Uh, all right. All right. So, uh, is there anything in particular you uh, gents want to uh, discuss? Just here to weigh in? Weigh Not in? particularly. Just thought we'd come crash your show. Father nice. Bill's in town. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, again, so Don Lee, uh, overlord of the cocktail world. And Father Bill, pretty much the spiritual, sp- spiritual guide for the cocktail world. What I'm kind of law do you actually do? I'm the Sherpa to the Sherpa. I teach yeah. legal ethics. I teach philosophy of law. You're for it? Uh, most of the time. Legal ethics? You're pro? I'm, I, as with most people and ethics, I'm for it for others. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, did you get to see the Pope when he came through? I did not. Mm. I, was, uh, I was stuck in the Midwest. Mm. Yes. Okay. Questions in. Uh, 
Hello, people. I was watching a series of videos about portioning and freezing food. Uh, in a video, the demonstrator was using two mil polyfill rolls and an impulse sealer and then freezing. Obviously, this is faster and way cheaper than vac sealing. But is this person shafting themselves by not removing air? Michael from Toronto. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, are you are you going to like in, in the short term, you're fine. Like removing air, the problem is this. If there's any space between uh, your bag and the product that you're uh, freezing, you're going to uh, – as your product um, kind of goes through the, uh, the cycles of up and down in your freezer, you're going to get recrystallization at the surface and you're going to get uh, – you're going to get freezer burn on the surface of that product. Uh, there's also uh, – you know, even though you're in a freezer, there's potential oxidation reactions that can happen. So you really want to get rid of the air. I mean, so, I mean, look, if you want, if you want to have it, like, let's say you're, let's say you're a prepper and you want to have a delicious steak. Uh, you know, you have, you have, uh, what are those things called? Solar cells, so that your freezer is going to stay good even when the grid goes down. And you know, you've run out of shotgun shells, so you can't shoot anybody or anything left. But your freezer is still running. Uh, you know, you're going to want your stuff vacked down so that it stays in, in good condition. Because 20 years after it all happens, you know, when no more plants or anything grows, you know, you'll be glad that you took the time to get the air out. Uh, if you want to use Ziplocs, you can do kind of you can do the old school like. You can get most of the air out doing a water fill where you're uh, where you you know you you dip the bag under the water except for and then you close it and the water will exclude the air. If you go on the cooking issues uh, old blog, these pictures are still there showing you how to do it. Uh, and another technique that you can do makes you look really dumb is you can stick a uh, a drinking straw into the edge of a ziploc, seal all the way up to the ziploc, and and then. Pinch and pull the straw out, and then you know that'll also get rid of some of the. That's actually what I do for baked goods. You don't want to vacuum baked goods down because it uh, crushes the baked goods, and so and they're too light; they float, so it's hard to do the water exclusion on a baked good. So when I'm freezing down things like pancakes and muffins, I do the straw on the zippy. That's my that's my my trick. That uh, that reminds me of a. Have you seen the movie The Martian yet? No, is it good? It's uh, it's right up your alley, but uh. One of the ideas is that while the main character is stuck on Mars, he has to you know, create some kind of food, and he has these potatoes because they send him up there with potatoes as part of a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, but if you're actually going to space, you'd probably send cooked potatoes backpack, right? You probably not, wouldn't, wouldn't send raw potatoes up there. I don't think you would send raw potatoes up there. Yeah. I don't think – no, but I mean, like, if you were actually going to go up for a long time, you'd need a food production unit anyway. It would probably be algae-based. Well, they were sent with uh, just, you know, like prepackaged kind of MRE-style food for everything else. Then that potato – look, let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now. I, I, I don't know. I heard, I heard uh, on NPR, I heard someone say that like a bunch of NASA people love the movie, so like they're not going to nitpick. But I know for a fact one thing that you're not going to send up on the, is like something that might have a pathogen on it. So I would bet that they cook the hell out of everything that goes up on that on that on on those birds because – you know, you know the Hassett the system was designed for uh, space program, right? Because you don't want you need to analyze every possible hazard because you don't want like an astronaut to get the the, the, the runs in space or have like food poisoning in space because it's potentially a problem. There's nowhere they can land. Right. So you know the food uh, and this is you know the the food system that was developed for the space program. Uh, was meant to have the same checks and balances for safety that the physical 
space vehicles had, right? Everything redundant, everything checked, everything verified, everything logged, so that in the event of a problem, they could trace it back, etc. Hence, HACCP was born. Uh, and so my guess is that a raw potato in the food supply would be a no-love kind of a situation because it might potentially be contaminated. Right. Well, the, the idea, I think, there was that they take it up there and microwave it before they eat it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I just don't believe it. I mean, look, so, someone from NASA write in and say that that you know, I, I'm, I'm look, I'm sure these guys looked into this, and whoever wrote the book, because it was a book before it was a movie, I'm yeah, sure I can't they remember if you dealt with it in the book or not. Do you remember, Don? Uh, so the idea was that normally they wouldn't take anything like that up there, but because they would be spending Thanksgiving there, they sent this special package that happened to include potatoes, which is why he was able to grow something there. So let me get this straight. So in in you're in a space program. That is costing billions of dollars with a bunch of lives at stake, and you wouldn't ordinarily do something for safety reasons. <laughs> However, you did it because it's Thanksgiving. I don't know. Isn't that like two thirds of your show? <laughs> I guess. I guess. Dumb I guess. Things you've done because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, well, okay. Yes, and my life in general. Dumb, you, you could you could have a, a large portion of my life just be called dumb things I've done. But look, I haven't seen the movie, nor have I seen the book, nor am I, nor have I ever consulted with NASA in any way, shape, or form on any sort of food thing. So, like, I could be one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, you should check it. Also, there's a, a video that uh, you know you know the guys from Tested.com. They went out to uh, NASA to kind of see how they do the food stuff, and they worked on a project with Tracy Desjardins, the chef in San Francisco, using only the ingredients of things that are already prepackaged on the ISS. What could you create that's new? And they came up with like a space burrito, and then Chris Hatfield actually made a space burrito in on the ISS. How was it? Uh, he said it was tasty. Yeah, yeah, it's great. What, what are the wrap? Oh my god, I had a wrap the other day. I ordered a freaking sandwich. And it came as a, it came as a wrap, and I was already out of the damn place before I realized I'd ordered a wrap. It was everything horrible that I thought it was. Did you set the place on fire? <laughs> I have not yet been back to set the place on fire. However, I probably will. And I, I was like, maybe they cooked the freaking, maybe they cooked the freaking tortilla before they wrapped. Oh no, they didn't. Raw flour. No. Oh! Hey Dave, I've got two questions. Yes. So this one's from Timmy. Any updates on future equipment? I need a Christmas list. And the second question is from Nastasia, who has Christmas lists? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Stas, you're such a... Grown men. Our fans are man children. Man. Damn. Christmas list? Ouch. Man. Why do you, what do you hate on the Christmas list? Listen, Stas. Oh, so you're such a, uh, give me do this crap. Listen. Christmas list for yourself? Listen, people, you know what people do? They say to me, they say, what would you like for Christmas? Because you're impossible to buy stuff for. But do you make a list? He checks no. a place. Yeah. Right. I don't, if but, you name two things, you've made a Christmas list. Oh! <laughs> Father no. Bill busting you wide no. open there, Stas. No. No. Yes, if you say to people, here is a, some things that I would like, that is a list. Oh, okay. What Stas is saying is, she doesn't want you sitting down with a with a magic marker because that's what you'd be using in this situation. Def- a and colored magic marker. A colored magic marker. Hopefully, it smells like grape or lemon. Those are my two favorites. <laughs> Orange was my you know distant third yep. in there. Yeah, and on uh, construction paper. Yeah, some construction paper and writing down the list. That's what she's reacting to. But like, <laughs> you know, Stan's like, here's what I want for Christmas. That's not a list. No, I mean. I don't consciously make a list, no. Dave's is on BuzzFeed. Someone <laughs> asked Dave Arnold what he wants for Christmas. Uh, I don't believe what happened next. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I stand by Tim, by the way. It's yeah. okay to ask for something for Christmas. It totally is okay to ask for something, because you know what? If you don't ask, you know what you get? Some crap you don't want. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Get a shitty sweater. 
my problem is is that most of the stuff that I want is so specific that I take all the fun out of it for the buyer. So I'm not like, you know what I need? I need a knife. I'm like, no, there is a knife that I need. You know what I mean? Like, and you can only buy it in this one place on a Thursday from this one lady in you know Stockholm. I mean? Yeah, but see, yeah. you're you're like me in that uh, this concept of shopping doesn't make sense. You research and then you acquire. You research and then you acquire. You don't go and shop. You know, you don't go to a store and like, what do I need or want? Right? It's you know what you need. Yeah. Figure it out and then you get it. Yeah, I'll spend like five hours figuring out the exact the exact style of crap I want. It's like my wife. She's like, hey, Dave, uh, we might have like a power outage, so I'm, I'm going to buy some flashlights. So I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, you don't just buy a flashlight. You go on the Candle Powers forum. You see what the current technology is right now. Wow. Check out the Four Sevens website. Wow. Get some headlamps first. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. So are there plans for future equipment? Yes. Okay. So, Stas, you want to talk about this after you've insulted the person who asked for our, our stuff? It's the same as we said last week. We're going to let them know when it's ready, right? <laughs> okay. Stas. Isn't that... This is why we call her the hammer, folks. You're getting... Ooh, yeah. For some reason, I don't know why the real Stas is actually coming out on the radio, which it normally never does. So this is like the actual way it's Nastasia it's, treats it's people. This is awesome. Yeah. 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 I would call her on the line, too. All right. Well, let me say this. So, um, we plan... Our plan is on Black Friday, the uh, Friday after Thanksgiving. Nastasia and I are going to ruin another Thanksgiving. We're going to announce what product we're going to sell, and we're going to put it on pre-sale. You're not going to wait for Cyber Monday? No. It's on the internet, man. I know. It's, it's so retarded. We don't, believe in the, we don't believe in the internet, and not a valid term for something that you don't Ooh, like. Shout out to David Tassinari with a donation in real time. Oh, nice real time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so my point is is that on Black Friday, we'll, we'll, we'll come out with what, what we're doing. We don't want to announce anything right now simply because um, – We did last week. Simply because we don't want to um, – we, we, we don't want to say like what the capabilities or anything like are until everything's completely hammered down but don't buy a centrifuge between now and Christmas right and we're not going to deliver it this year by the way there's no way on God's earth that we're going to deliver it this year right Stas mm-hmm. that I can say for certain and uh, are we going to have the cube available yep cube's available you know who likes the cube Rebecca <laughs> yes Rebecca does. big fan of the cube you know we should have we should have a, a contest for naming the cube is there a, we don't have a decent name for it, right? I mean, Rebecca would be the leading name, maybe. Yeah. You don't name the cube, Rebecca. <laughs> you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to, you know what I named after you? A hunk of polyurethane that I shake around on the inside of two pieces of metal and just beat the ever-loving crap out of in order to froth up a drink. You said that loving, would, though, so that's okay, I guess. That would froth up a nice eggnog, though. Yeah, uh, yes, it would. Yes. Wow, John in Osaka says, Dank Shaker Nugs should be the cube name. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Oh, nice. All right, was that a caller I heard coming in or what? Yeah, I think this is the caller. Here we go. All right, caller, you were on the air. Uh, this is Jeffrey from Costa Mesa. How you guys doing? How you doing? Doing all right. Uh, first, just want to say thank you uh, sincerely to all of you there in the studio for the time and work that you uh, put in. And you've inspired us to approach problems, not just cooking problems, but problems in general, greater thought and creativity and enthusiasm. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you. That's nice. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, I have a question about another, since we're talking potatoes, uh, I do a lot of French fries, uh, sometimes just tater tots from those scraps. Uh, so do the basic, um, uh, Tech the next soak for the hour, 14 minute blanch, like what you put up 
put up on the blog a right. uh, long time ago. So the problem is uh, maybe I'm just an, an ogre and I'm not handling things delicately enough, but after the blanch, uh, so many of the fries fall apart that I'm not getting a lot of, you know, whole, nice, long French fries. I'm wondering if I can blanch for a shorter amount of time and uh, do a longer first fry, or what, what What would you recommend? Yes and yes and no. So, I yes, like in order to get a nicer-looking French fry, uh, you can blanch for less amount of time, but... I, like I don't think the texture is going to be quite as good, and you might have to do more, a little more dehy, dehy uh, between the um, the blanch and the first fry to to get it right. Right. But well, another yeah, thing I do you the could five do five cut, so I don't do any forced drying. Right. Uh, just throw them onto a drying rack, but that's kind of where it's tough to to get them back off into the fry. Do you have a combi oven? You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Because hmm. uh, I've had good luck just steaming the ever loving crap out of them too. You know what I mean? Really? I, you know what yeah. I've you know what I've never done? I've never done a short blanch. See, the thing about the blanch, so when you're blanching a French fry in water, you're doing two things. You're cooking the French fry, right? So you're affecting right. the texture. You're also putting the salt in the inside of the French fry, which is a very important step. I wonder what would happen if you did I've never tested this. I wonder what would happen if you did a relatively short blanch, right? To get the salt penetration mm-hmm. that you need. Pull it out, put them on racks, and then just bake them in a regular oven for a while to do like the overcook thing, and then pull them out, let them cool off before you do the fry. I wonder what would happen. That'd be worth a shot. I think it might be good. I was thinking more of a hardware solution. Uh, Just take your rack and then dip it into some food grade uh, silicone, make it nonstick. You know, it's just really hard. Like it's just really, really hard when you're dumping these. When you're especially when you're dumping out of water, like when you blanch for as long as we normally blanch, like literally just even if you were to like ladle with a spider out of the out of the pot, they shatter on the spider. They're like the. In fact, all the bottom ones get pulped, and the ones on top, like because they have the cushion of the of the their destroyed brethren underneath them, manage to survive. But uh, yeah, but I, I you know. Uh, I, you know, please, I don't have the time right now uh, to run a bunch of tests, but if, because if, I'm working on this, like, music, bunch of stuff, like this centrifuge, the museum, if you um, try, try like, a, a, like a, a, a shorter blanch and then just, like, a, some bake time in the oven and see whether it's good, let me know. That's a good idea. I'll try that. Right. Uh, I have to confess, that's my only question. I have to confess, I was the person who called a few weeks ago with uh, too many questions and initiated so I apologize for that. Um, I did. I did, as a, as a friend said, uh, present myself as a ha- or as a nail upon which uh, magnificent Miss Lopez could could hammer. So yeah, and which, wow. which she does. Which she does. Now, I don't know if you could hear because you were calling in, but you see the kind of roughness she sprays on people. This is her normal self, people. Town, but this is what we need. That's that's what is necessary. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Well, let us know Oof. how the fries work. All right. Will do. All right, cool. Thanks. Hey, I hate to. Oh, well, I hate to say it, but uh, we're we're nearing the end here. What? Because I got to get you. We got to do a MoFat ad too. Oh yeah. What? Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me see what. Let me see. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> Unethical, Father Bill would say, for you to not have us talk about these. Oh wait, here we go. Oh, I don't even know the answer to this. Maybe look, I'm going to throw this out there, and uh, someone I should know this. Uh, oh. Nastasia, are uh, Sears all uh, steak decorators ever going to be available outside of the U.S.? Steak decorators? No. We, do we still have any on Amazon? Yeah. So you could probably convince – because Amazon, they say they won't do everything, but you could probably go on Amazon.us 
and order it from Amazon.us, and they may or may not ship to you depending on what kind of a mood they're in. There's also third-party shippers you can send it to. There you go. If you Google for it, I'm sure you can find something. I was. I know Canada does that. Like they ship a bunch of stuff to the Canadian border, and then you drive to the border and pick it up. But it's all so random. I hate. I really, really didn't realize how much I would hate uh, how export rules work. What about you, Stas? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a radio broadcast uh, broadcast question. Recently, I bought a uh, store bought lobster bisque. Bisque. What do you think about the word bisque, Stas? It's fine. You're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Bisque. What about when I say it like that? You don't like bisque. It's. So maybe no. you, I thought you didn't like bisque. Bisquick. What about bisquick? Fine. You know who likes bisquick freaking pancakes? Booker. He's like, can you make? I don't want your pancakes, Dad. I want bisquick pancakes. I was like, nice. ain't great, ain't great. Uh, recently bought lobster bisque at a store, and on its ingredients, it states in quotes, "lobster extract." What is such an extract? Lobster carapace boiled down, or is it an industrial rotavap use? Uh, best uh, 80 from the UK. I guarantee you they did not use a rotavap. That's for dingity dangity, sure. Uh, I, I bet you they just uh, like took all like the stuff left over from lobster and, and you know boiled and crushed it. But you know what? We're doing a um, an exhibition on flavor, and I'm sure we'll get some flavorists coming through. I'll ask. I'll, I'll look. I, all I know is this: everything that says extract is very finely tweaked it would not be a rotovap because that would be too expensive and you're not going to get the stuff across but i'll figure out what it is i'll try to, next time i speak to an actual flavorist uh who works on savory side stuff i'll uh, I'll, I'll try to get that and then uh the person who called in uh jeremy about the christina tozzi uh cake recipe with the fondant it worked thanks for the answer the cake was a huge success 110 fahrenheit for the fondant was uh, still a little cool. 115 seemed to work perfectly. I have since made several other recipes from Miss Tozy's book. All of them were amazing. You guys should have her on the show someday. What did oh, yeah. Say? Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. And I have a caller who's going to, like, squeeze a question in so quickly. Here we go. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. Uh, Nastasha, Jack, nice to see all of you. Nice to talk to all of you. Uh, quick question. Um, nitrogen. In a keg, how long does it take to infuse it into a liquid phase? Oh, nitrogen will never go in. Nitrous? No, nit- nitrogen. Like so, like when you're like like a Guinness style, like head. Right. So what those guys are doing is, in, I believe, it's been a long time since I've looked at the widget patent, and Don will know about this. Uh, you use nitrogen in beer gases to push without adding extra carbonation, but also injection of nitrogen into the bottom will create seed bubbles that cause the head thing to come up. So what you want to do that is uh, you need an injection at source when it goes down, but it's never going to appreciably um, solubilize in the, in, the, in, the, in the drink. But you could make like you – could, you could get like a carbonating stone, like a sintered stone that was only going to be used on Guinness – like put it onto a nitrogen hose, and then in the bottom of a of a you know a, a thing of Guinness, you could just go, and it would like foam up to the top. I would guess. But you wouldn't want that in the okay. keg. You'd want that outside. So. It couldn't be in the keg. It would have to be outside yeah. the keg. I don't think there's a way. Uh, uh, you could in you could put a foaming. You could put something that would cause a boat ton of foam to happen in your beer lines but it would wreck your beer lines for like a glass so in other words here's what I, here's what you could do how about this don i don't think anyone's ever done this ready for this you could have a regular beer line right that you left clear and then you could emulate the beginning and end of a keg where it gets like air interruption in it with nitrogen and have a separate line that's just like crappy foam 
Yeah, that would work. Where you're pushing, where you reverse the push, where the air push that goes in actually goes in at the bottom through a carb stone. So every time you're pushing, it's like you're pushing from a new keg. And then you would have a uh, – you'd pull your, your, your normal beer without like making it nice and then you go and just pour foam out of your foam line. <laughs> what would you do? What if uh, you just took the, um, the the end of the tap, basically, and just like kind of ran a, like a steel wool inside just to create more surface area to create more uh, nucleation sites? Oh, that's a good idea, without having to have a separate thing on the inside of the keg. Super or, easy, yeah. or Or you could really – you could also just put like a little nitrogen uh, – or at air at that point, because who cares? Yeah. It's not staying in contact with the beer more than five minutes. Injector right at the tip, right at the flow, to just crap it out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. almost the way a, a, a soda gun craps it out. That's the easiest. There you go. If you were not serving in like pint glasses and small glasses, you could actually even also just, uh, just sand the inside of the glass to create more nucleation sites. But you would eventually but then it'll keep the nucleating. Yeah, so you'd have to drink it fast. So if you made small like you know pony glasses the real baller thing right check this out here's the real baller thing right you can have a button on the side of the thing so that you pour it and then at the end you're like and it just injects right at the like right in the tip at the end blasts some air into cause nucleation sites and then you could do it all from kind of uh one one tap yeah Right, that would work. Oh, I don't. By the, way, Dave, the advice you gave me three months ago about the uh, about the uh, coffee on tap. Yeah, perfect. Oh, nice, amazing. Yeah, nice. and it lasts like a month and a half. No mold, no nothing, no worries at all. Oh, beautiful. You guys like are gonna it. hate me. Oh, what? Were you cutting us off? Yeah. All right, we're being cut off. Thanks for uh, Don, Father Bill, everyone else. Cooking issues. Red light ramen. Mm-hmm.